Tent in a series of three. So if you're not familiar with the series, let me give you a quick update. We are preaching out of the material that we use in membership class. Seems like an unusual thing to do. But for several years, I have wrestled with how important this material is in terms of defining who we are, what it means to be part of this local congregation, and what it means for this local congregation to be part of a larger group and what that group does. And so last week, we stepped into this talking a little bit about the foundation of the church in Scripture. That Scripture tells us very clearly that the church is to be the body of Christ with Christ at the head. It also says that we are the bride of Christ and all the covenantal relationship that goes with that notion. It also indicates that we are to be the expression of Christ, what it means to be Christ to others. And then we talked a little bit about our family tree. I'm going to talk some more about that as we try and look at some of the underpinnings of those things that help to form our identity, our image, as being the body of Christ. Uh, you heard a few moments ago that this is uh, Melissa Tucker's birthday this day, and I, I want to thank you as a congregation. One of the nice benefits that you provide for our staff is that you include a person's birthday as one of their paid holidays in the course of a year. It's part of our handbook and part of the way we try and treat our staff. And so normally um, staff get a day off on their birthday. That's not true for Melissa. In case she didn't know it, I just wanted to say it publicly that we need her to be fully engaged from early this morning till pretty late tonight with 1722. And to uh, make matters even a little more difficult and a little less birthday-like, I asked her to help teach this day with me. So, Melissa, come on up here. We want you to be part of this. Um, and I just as a reminder to you, there is no comp time. You've lost it. It was today or nothing. So, uh, <laughs> that's, that's right. And until you get kind and friendly, we're not going to turn your mic on. <laughs> I think we lost Prentice back there. Prentice, we need a mic up here. Here he goes. Thanks, brother. The one moment you step away, you are so attentive. Um, so as we move into this, I, I want to state up front, some of you are guests this morning. Thank you. It is so wonderful for you to be here and to um, grace us with your presence you make us better by being here. I also know that it might feel odd to talk about things that are uh, in some ways insider language, um, talking about some of the nuances of this place, but I trust that as you listen closely, as we talk about 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we talk about what it means to be part of an important storyline that spans millennial, that you will find for yourself that nugget of truth that your heart needs to hear this morning as God brings us together for a purpose this morning. This passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, is a passage where Paul is writing to Timothy and speaks about some very important components 
that have to do with the central truths of our faith, along with several cautions to Timothy. And so both of us are going to talk a little bit about what we saw in this passage. Why don't you start us off? One of the things that I love about yeah. that that talks about the legacy we leave behind is the wonderful connection to last week when the passage said that um, Paul affirms the faith that was found in Timothy's grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice as a way to talk about the legacy that had been passed down to Timothy. And so now there's this sense in which all of this came here and now let's give attention to what we pass down as our legacy. Yeah, one of my favorite pieces of this passage, and it ties into how we can fragment from one another, is where he says, let me talk about one of the central pieces 
and that is if you die with Christ, you have life. Now, it doesn't state what the opposite corollary of that is, but I think it implies very clearly that if you choose to not live with Christ, then you are beginning down that pathway of death already. That to live without Christ is to begin to have actions and participate in those things that eventually fall apart. So that's the call for us. Do we die with Christ and in so doing begin eternal life now? Or do we step away from that, refusing that direction and continue down a pathway that allows destruction to begin now? So that's at the core, at the heart. But then what does it mean, as he says a few moments later, so be careful about the things you quarrel over, the words you use, the debates you have. Because as you said, we're human and this is, yeah, it's what we do all the time. So this is not just for first century people. Yeah, it appears that we might have this problem as well. So last week we talked a little bit about our family tree. That following the um, death of Christ, following Pentecost, the believers scattered in many directions. There were churches that just knew what they'd heard at Pentecost. There were others that were started by Paul. There were others that were given oversight by John. James was at a key place in Jerusalem and the churches that were around there. And so there began to be differences between their churches, and that's continued through the ages, where Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation split apart from um, the church of which he was a part. John Wesley, though he tried to stay part of the Anglican church, eventually founded the Methodists, and then splits that took place in different directions until this family tree looks um, rather interesting with many roots. Why don't you show it to us? All right, so let's take a look at this slide here. Wait, oh, 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 it's it, it, it like, wait for me. I, I can't go back. No, you can go backwards. Just don't look at the screen. Go on to the, the back one. Oh, it's broken. Okay. The Holy Spirit wants you to see the many iterations of the Christian family, right? Oh, there we go. Okay. So what he, what he was talking about is, is shown here, sort of the earliest breakoff and reconstruction form to create Christian unity. And he calls this out the one down the middle, which we see what our church is, to Christian oneness. Um, but you can see here what he's referring to, that so many churches form lots of different versions. Where are we, Melissa? So it would appear from this that we have been incredibly disobedient to the 2 Timothy chapter 2 passage. I mean, it doesn't seem like we have followed the admonition to be very careful about those things that begin to separate. So let's begin to talk about where we fit in here, why, and then what we do about that. And I might add that these are still major headings under which are many other headings of some other groups. Yes. And uh, 
not done well with what Charles has accomplished over his career. Maybe he has not stepped forward over different kinds of feelings. And still, I'm going to say this. I, I really am, at the end of the day, I'm a denominational gal. I really am. I grew up in one. I grew up in this one. Yeah, it, if there was a nice, uh, the third book of Timothy, chapter 3, yeah. that just outlined every doctrinal stance so that we know that was the stance we were supposed to make. And we'd all agree, and it'd be so easy to say, ah, you're out of line, you know, yeah. things like this. But I, I'll use the Trinity as an example of this. Nowhere, you can Google Bible Trinity, nowhere in the Bible. Is there a very clear definition of this really 
image of God is created. As the Father God through whom Jesus Christ emanates, the Son. And then that particular story is narrated about who Christ is and the Christ is God. And then we also have the Spirit in the same way. And the Holy Spirit language is used all throughout the New Testament. He's an illuminating agent. He can, of course, have these three reflections or images or forms of God all throughout Scripture, but nowhere does it say, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the Spirit of the Trinity is super And I think one of the reasons why we end up disagreeing is that when we go to Scripture, we are developing these ideas out of the stories that are told in Scripture. I'm told that 70% of the Bible is storytelling. There are over 700 stories in Scripture, and it's out of these stories that we begin to piece together our system of belief. So, for example, you mentioned the Trinity. Matthew chapter 3, I believe it's verses 14 to 16, is the story of Jesus going to his cousin John to be baptized. And while being baptized, they looked up and saw the Spirit like a dove coming down from heaven and lighting upon him, landing on him. And a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, here in the context of this story, we have the beloved son, the father who speaks, and the spirit who's descended from heaven on him. Out of this story, we begin to put together and understand this notion of a God who's expressed in three different ways. And it's obviously not just one story. We could go to John chapter 14 where Jesus is interacting with the disciples. And in the midst of this teaching, which is close to his last day on earth, Jesus says to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father... And the Father will send to you one, the Advocate, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who not only abides with you, but lives in you. This is this amazing story of Jesus' interaction with the disciples, and it's out of these stories that these doctrinal beliefs get formed. And so all of the things that you have, this sheet of paper we did a handout for, you didn't know you were going to have homework and you're going to be tested on this in another two weeks. No, that's not the case. But you probably had when you came in a handout, and if not, I think you can still get them at the back if you need to. On one side is a look at the articles of faith. It's here that we probably should have, and I think you can find them if you check the, uh, the link that's there. The scripture references the stories out of which these ideas are formed. But because they come out of the storytelling, it is possible for one group of people to read the story and not land in the exact same place that someone else who reads the exact same story does. Thank you. 
Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, this is a summary of our article this week, which I'm much longer speaking, so you can find it over here. Another way, a fun way, for us to take a look at some of our distinctives and some of our doctrine that are important to us is through a video that was made not too long ago by some kids who grew up together in our church. Anything you want to add to this before we dive in? No, I, I don't think I mentioned the name tags earlier in the oh, service. Did I? Let me do that as a way by oh, which good. to honor this thing. Sure. Um, one of the things we try and do in membership class is to tell stories that help to name our identity. Um, probably half of you, maybe, as you came in, grabbed the name tag and put it on, and if you have done this at any time in the last uh, couple of years, you will have put on a name tag and looked at a piece of paper that seems very odd that we have cut our name tags in half, and you might think to yourself, um, can't this church afford a full name tag? Is there a problem? And the answer is, no, we can't. So that is our appeal to you. That's the story. End of sermon, yeah. This actually has a great story behind it. Um, we were at a time period where we were talking about being good stewards, faithfully tending to the things that God has entrusted to us, what it means to care for the earth. And our youth department picked up on that and was teaching the same thing. And in the midst of it, one of our teens asked a question and said, so we're talking about ways in which we can um, protect our environment, things that we can do to change our lifestyle, to make a difference. Why do we use a full name tag to put our name? Certainly our name can fit on a half a sheet of uh, these stickers that go on the shoulder. And I know that there aren't probably a whole lot of trees that are saved each week by this gesture that we do, I know this morning I actually probably made more copies of a particular thing that wasted more than we saved on the name tags. But I think about it this morning because I'm wearing this. As a result of what one of our teams said, this then becomes a symbolic piece, a storyline that helps to define our desire, first, to be good stewards of what's been entrusted to us, but secondly, to say how much we have to learn from each other and that a question raised by a teen makes all the difference in the world for us, so much so that for years we've been wearing half sheets of paper on our shoulder to be reminded of that. In the same way, when we wrestle with these articles of faith, these doctrinal issues, we had uh, a particular person who grew up in this congregation and a number of his college friends who also attended this place, who attempted to put together their understanding, at least in part, of some of what it means to explore this unique identity of being Nazarene. So, Blake Nelson's Nazbo Rap 2 is going to be up here for us.
Wow. I'm pretty certain that wasn't what you were expecting this morning. But, yeah, last week bad pipes, this, this week rapping. What's next week? You have to come back, yeah. There's a whole lot of insider comments, jokes, those kinds of things. In fact, I think you told me that in order to be in that, you had to... But in there, there's so much reference to some of the unique characteristics and identity of this faith tradition that um, we have joined. Our church is a year older than the denomination, but we have joined in with this group um, as part of our identity. It would appear that um, both in the things we've said and the video that was spoken, that we could really clearly mark some dividing lines, some us versus them sort of issues. But that's not who we are. We want to be faithful to this notion of our faith tradition out of which we have come, and at the same time, honor what it means to be part of this broad faith tradition called Christianity. So start walking us through some of those things.
Um, no, I love the setup that you've already uh, given this, that we're going to look at not only our own tradition that has kind of identified or created um, a definition for us in the holiness tradition, but five other streams of thought that will help us to understand the breadth of the Christian faith. I want to make sure that um, I'm making the connection correctly. The, the way in which a group might come into existence is because they see around them or among their peers or fellow churches that there is an area of the Christian faith that seems to be lacking or m missing. And so they step into that void or that vacuum and sometimes out of that action a new faith tradition or denomination can form just because of a desire to fill that need or a breakaway from a group that was refusing to fill that need. Maybe on an maybe on a, uh, individual scale, like just our local church, I had somebody come up to me a week ago and ask me the question, um, do we have a prison ministry of any sort? It's really important to him. And I had to say, no, we don't. Now, not as you're describing, we do angel tree ministry during Christmas time, but we don't have anybody that actually goes into the prisons. We had some some time ago, but they left, 
and there is no one to fill that void, and so we've not been doing it. He longs to be part of that taking place and saw that there was something that he saw in Scripture that needed to be given attention to and asked us locally, are we doing that? I hope that now he can help us to address that need, but that would be a local church example of something that's not part of a church's current offerings or teaching, and now that void starts to get filled. And so all of these traditions may start or arise out of that kind of a need, right? right. Okay. So Salvation Army is a great example in that they're probably known most for their social action and the work that they do in that area, but they definitely come out of the holiness tradition in terms of a stream of Christian faith. A great showing that one church needs to give attention to more than just their area and typically do. Though we come out of the holiness tradition, we certainly have significant connections to the evangelical tradition. The Assemblies of God, they have a wonderful missions system and would have a great connection to the evangelical tradition. But one of the things that is of great concern is if we are out of balance in this faith journey. These connections to the one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, the relationship to fellow believers, and the connection to the marketplace, if we're missing one of these areas, there are some very strange dysfunctions, symptoms that can occur that are really problematic. And it's true both individually as it is collectively. There are people who have a great one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, and as a result, they have engaged in the marketplace in powerful, wonderful ways. But because they have no connection to a body of believers, it's very possible for them to do some very strange, lone ranger kinds of things that have not been honed. Their sharp edges have not been softened. The, 
the body of believers has not come alongside to walk along with them and train and teach in ways that hold them accountable. Likewise, somebody who's so engaged with the marketplace but has no one-on-one relationship with God is a sure formula for burnout. Without that deep, quiet, solid time with God, you can go for a while ministering in the marketplace, but you'll be short-lived. And there are so many who have actually dropped out of ministry or had shortened lives because there is no attention to the balance in their life. What is true of individuals is equally true of churches. That's why this area is so important to us in terms of our identity. We arise out of the holiness tradition, but have so much to learn from those who practice the contemplative practices so beautifully. We have so much to learn from those who are sacramental in their worship and what it means to do those things in community. We have so much to learn from the social action groups to teach us how we can be balanced in all areas of our spiritual life and be all that God has called us to be. Sorry, I just got on a soapbox there. Or, or as you said, push away from one of these boxes yeah, because... Running yeah. into another box. Yeah. Right. Where I felt there was an imbalance in my, in my growing up. So much I focused on the one-on-one. But in college, I became drawn to the social actions and saw that God was present with me in my service to others. It mm. only made a difference, my interaction with God. And so I think that it's important for us to identify what's your specific combo. Are you the evangelist charismatic that says yes and social justice? If that's you, we need to be clear because if we're fully being who we are and the way God has made us to be, we will bring surely into a balanced conversation and speak up, speak out about who we need to be. So one of the things that we say to anybody who comes through a membership class is you bring with you to this place a lot of baggage, suitcases, if you will, of your past experiences that have kind of defined you in a variety of ways. We are not asking you to leave that luggage at the door. We want you to bring it in with you. We want you to unpack it right here. We want you to teach us from things that you have learned that you bring to this place and make us better because we're on this journey together. As we learn from one another how we are best reflecting Christ in this place. So add to what it means for our church practically? Practically, it means that we continue to look back to what Paul is writing us in terms of Second Timothy to be. A community that is most centrally fixated on who God is, on the gospel of Christ, and living that faithfully. And that while there are many different ways to approach this Christian life, many different ways to look at Scripture, to not get caught up in quarreling about ways that is and we are people who believe that Christ has died for us and that that sacrifice 
frees us from the guilt of our sin and frees us up from that tendency towards sin. It gives us eternal life, and that eternal life begins now. My question that I posed to Melissa before we stepped into all of this is what makes this this morning different than just going to a workshop or just going to a class where you get a lot of information? Because if that's all this is, then this really has not been a worship service. What makes it different is that this is just not conveying information. We leave this place turning to one another, staying in dialogue, living out our faith in community. It is to take this and live it out so that our actions, our disputes, our arguments, our conversation, don't drive people away from the good news, but instead the way in which we engage one another attracts people to the good news. Because we see what is central, we talk about what is not, but we don't allow those things to create the divisions, but instead find the ways by which we honor God's work in other people, learn from each other, and become the body of Christ, not a bunch of separated parts. I don't bemoan the denominational chart. I think it is this beautiful expression of the Christian faith coming out in so many different ways. The only thing that I, that I labor over and struggle with is if all of those labels keep us divided. If that's the case, then we have been disobedient to 2 Timothy chapter 2. But if instead we live faithfully into all of these different areas of the Christian faith, then we are uniting in Christ and living out the good news by honoring Christ in all we say and all we do. Let's pray together. Father, into this place we come.